Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's a MD candidate at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine. He's the co-founder of Path Elective. He's also actively interested in STEM education and the virtual delivery of education. He was a former molecular microbiologist, but still does a little bit of science research. I'm so glad to introduce and welcome Cullen Liley. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So like I have a lot of questions in mind. So firstly, I would like to begin by asking you, what made you want to uh, do molecular microbiology as an undergrad? Yeah, um, so during undergrad, I actually went in as a music major. Um, I was a vocal performance major and I minored in biology. And as time went on, I started to find my love for the sciences. Um, I ended up taking on more of the science curriculum. And then eventually I ended up taking on a double major. But in order to you know, get a job afterward, I really wanted to make sure I had that Bachelor of Science. So I ended up getting a dual degree in Bachelor of Music and Bachelor of Science. And it was a great time. I mean, I loved my time in undergrad. Um, I think having that music there was a really a nice way to kind of decompress from all the science curriculum. It also helped me kind of uh, develop coping mechanisms for how to deal with stress and all that. Um, and, you know, into like kind of how I got into science, it, I mean, it probably goes all the way back, you know, from when we were looking at pond water under a microscope. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing field. And I think microbiology is especially amazing, especially now with whole genome sequencing and, um, you know, uh, metagenomics, uh, you're really finding out so much more about these microbes and we're finding more microbes than we even knew we had um, whole, you know, uh, candidate phyla that um, we had no idea existed. Uh, and I guess I kind of fell in love with molecular biology first. And I thought I was going to be doing like, you know, cancer research or something after undergrad. Um, and then I got my first job as a microbiology technician and it was amazing. I mean, Malditoff is so cool. All the different biochemical techniques are really interesting. And it's one of the fields where there isn't a lot of automation and, uh, you know, you actually get to see the microbes, sometimes smell the microbes, which can be pleasant or not pleasant, depending on which ones they are. Um, and then, you know, moving on from that, I ended up getting into molecular microbiology because of my background in molecular. I uh, ended up getting a molecular certification there and just kind of paired the two together. I loved it. And then I ended up doing some public health molecular uh, epidemiology kind of stuff where we did whole genome sequencing and kind of compared microbes to see which ones were more likely related and uh, if there was an outbreak going on. I think I can also relate to you because of the fact that you took music as your undergrad. I'm also interested in music as well as science and I played guitar. So did you play any instrument as such in your undergrad or 
Yeah. So before undergrad, I played the trumpet. I was in band. Um, I kind of did that and I was doing musicals and uh, vocal lessons and some choir on the side. Um, but then when I went to undergrad, I really wanted to pursue, pursue voice more. And so I did vocal performance. But uh, during that time, you have to also learn some in instruments. So I learned um, some piano and I had rudimentary understanding before, but it kind of helped understand like how to sight read and um just kind of how to read two clefs at the same time which i thought was so foreign to me as a former trumpet player um but yeah no i i think learning instruments and uh reading music it goes so well with science i don't think that there's a reason anyone shouldn't um you know if you don't that's totally fine but i it just helps develop your brain in such a different way and you kind of almost tackle problems in a different way as well which i found out doing research yeah, you're completely right. I also feel like music and science are like so related to each other in some uh, ways. And when you spoke about molecular microbiology, it all seems so interesting. But what exactly is uh, molecular microbiology? So how would you explain it to a high school student like me? Yeah, absolutely. So molecular, if you just think about uh, molecular biology in general, is basically anything that comes from the genome or the DNA of a cell, and it then is transcribed into RNA and then is translated into DNA. Um, and so that's kind of the, the molecular biology central dogma. Molecular microbiology is then just analyzing the you know, DNA, RNA, or proteins of microbes. So all the microbes that live in, around, and on us, um, you know, from the bacteria to parasites to fungi, viruses, um, all of those have some kind of genetic material. And so if you can um, analyze that, you can see what's there. And if you can kind of interpret um, the diversity of what's going on, it's almost like looking at ecology at a micro microscopic scale, you know, so in high school, you learn a lot about um, all the different animals and plants and all that stuff in the second semester of biology, usually, and um, thinking about microbiology, um, just for instance, if you're thinking about molecular biology or molecular microbiology, um, we tend to clump microbes together based on how closely related they are in their DNA. And within one species of um, microbes, it is enough genetic diversity to cover the entire, uh, the all birds that we have on this planet. So if you just think about that kind of genetic diversity, all of the species of birds that we have on our planet is the same as just one species of microbe. And so looking at all of these microbes, I mean, the genetic diversity is just, it's outstanding. Um, I mean, there are more microbes than we can even comprehend, which is so interesting and that's what makes molecular biology so special it's um you know looking at the the thing that makes a organism an organism the very center of that is dna and um it's just it's fantastic it's really really interesting yeah it does seem really interesting by just what you explained like i'm already amazed and i really want to tap into it and research more about it definitely so I know that you're also um, interested in research. So what are your research uh, interests? Yeah. Um, so before 
uh, before I got into molecular microbiology, I was working on um, the molecular changes that were going on in arthritis. And that was kind of where I got my feet wet in research. Um, I think inflammation is something that is very, very interesting and it's very complex. Um, you, we don't learn about it really until you get like a doctorate degree because inflammation is very complicated. Um, and so in arthritis, there is a lot of inflammation. And so looking at the molecular changes, remember the DNA, RNA proteins, if you could look at the changes that are occurring there, you could kind of be able to find some kind of target for therapy. And that's where I initially started was in um, researching arthritis and the molecular changes there. And after that, when I started getting into microbiology, more of my research there was looking at the molecular differences between microbes. And, um, you know, I spent some time at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and I was contracted there through IHRC. And it was uh, there where I initially started looking at the, the whole genomes of bacteria. So all of the genetic material inside a bacterium, and then you can compare them. And that's where computational methods come in. So anybody who likes programming would really like that. Um, bioinformatics is a whole field of molecular biology where you're analyzing giant sources of information, which is DNA, um, or even more than that, if you want to look at everything, DNA and RNA, there's more than that too. Um, but there I was kind of looking at these differences in, um, in pathogenic microbes. And so these microbes that cause disease um, and kind of taking that into where I am now, one of my more recent studies was looking at Candida auris, which is a fungus. And this fungus was uh, before the pandemic was um, one of the worrisome bugs in the hospital because it was pretty resistant to a lot of different antifungals. And so when you have resistance, which, you know, is a whole topic you could talk about in microbiology for sure, um, it's hard to treat, right? And so if you have people in really vulnerable situations, like when they're in the hospital um, and when their immune system's down and they can't really fight off these um, bugs, then they end up dying from them. And so the mortality rate for Canada Aris was pretty high. And so the hospital had a vested interest in figuring out um, how to how to clear this from the hospital system. So I was working on finding Canada Aris um, inside and on people. And so we we really used the um, nas the, the narrow sorry the <laughs> nasal swabs. So they would swab the nose, and then they would also swab the groin area. And those and they were, were trying to see if there was a difference in uh, prevalence. And you know CDC had said that. Uh, the groin was more prevalent for Canada Aris. And then we saw some data that was suggesting that uh, Canada Aris in Illinois, where I am, it was more pre prevalent in the nares, which is the nose. And so we were kind of looking at that and seeing if there was any uh, differences there. And so kind of going from the wet side or the wet bench is what they call it, the when you're actually pipetting and uh, streaking plates and, you know, doing all that stuff over to the dry side, which is really analyzing data. Um, that's kind of where clinical research kind of gets into it more on the dry side. And so that was an interesting project. Um, the pandemic kind of put an end to it, but hopefully we'll be getting back in there and working on some more right now. I'm in my uh, last couple weeks of my preclinical years. And so hopefully I'll be getting back in there and doing some more clinical research. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, will you be also researching about uh, COVID or um, anything? So yeah, in the, 
Yeah, in the early days of the pandemic, I, um, well, I couldn't go in. Everything was, you know, the students were kind of almost banned from the hospital in the early days of the pandemic. Um, we they just didn't know what was go- like what uh, what was going to happen, and um, for safety reasons, basically, students were sent out. But I helped our microbiology department. Um, I was doing some of the literature research, and I was putting together some information that they were curious about because you know, there was so much information in the early days of the pandemic, it was hard to really sift through it all. And to add on top of that, what you would normally do with researching, uh, if you're doing a literature research, you would go to NCBI, but so many of the papers weren't even posted to NCBI because it was so, uh, you know, everything was happening so quickly. So um, they didn't have enough time for that. I mean, they were literally sleeping at the hospital. So I was taking Uh, my extra time that I had and kind of helping them find sensitivity and specificity for different regions of testing. And, um, you know, if they were doing the the nose or if they were doing the throat, um, what kind of sensitivity there was there. And if stool sampling was um, important or not, like all of the, all that stuff at the early days of the pandemic, no one knew about. Um, And, you know, there was definitely research going on, but um, that was kind of my thing at the beginning. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I haven't really done too much with the molecular biology of it yet. And how do you think uh, COVID will impact doctors or um, clinical researchers in the future? Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that it can affect um, clinical researchers and physicians, especially. I mean, uh, the whole masking now it almost seems like, why weren't we doing it before? You know, if you're walking into a room with someone who is, who has flu or who is suspected of flu, why would you walk in there and expose yourself? um, If, you know, there isn't a reason to. So I think masking is definitely something that I feel like will be taken more seriously in the medical profession. Um, In addition to that, hand washing has been incredibly improved. (laughs) Um, If you look at some of the hospital data from, you know, before the pandemic to after, I mean, C. diff levels dropped, Clostridium or Clostridioides difficile now. Um, That is one of the bugs that causes diarrhea in the hospital. And that number dropped. Um, Methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus or MRSA, those numbers dropped as well. So I think hand washing techniques, let's hope they stick around because obviously that helped a lot. Um, we don't want people to come into a hospital and get more sick. We want to help them get better. So that's some that's something that I I hope will carry forward. And the other thing um, with uh, how COVID has affected everything, I mean, going virtual is a huge thing. Um, and you know, a lot of meetings are now virtual. Scientific meetings are virtual, but also a lot of collaborations are virtual. Um, almost all of my research this year on medical education and STEM education has been all virtual. I haven't met any of the people except for my research mentor. So, I mean, that is something that is a, a benefit to science because collaboration is really the best way to grow in science. Um, and then for telehealth, that's another thing that is uh, grown a lot since the beginning of the pandemic. And you know, there's certain ways and certain scenarios where that's helpful. Um, I hope that the physical exam and all that stuff doesn't go away completely because I think it is important. Uh, But, you know, I think that there is a place, a time and place for telemedicine. And so I think that's going to kind of carry forward as well. And then in terms of research, I feel like people are going to be researching COVID for the end of time. Um, It's going to be 
you know, I mean, we are still finding stuff out about HIV and that pandemic has been going on since the 70s and 80s. And so I could imagine this being a whole new realm of research, but a lot of really amazing things came out of this pandemic as well. Like we have our first mRNA vaccine, which was not a thing before this pandemic. And that really could be a game changer. We could have, you know, a, a single flu vaccine and it could, you know, protect you from all strains of flu. That would be amazing. Um, we could also have adaptable vaccines that you could, you know, deliver multiple strains. Um, so that is another area of research that I feel like is going to be a, a huge um, growth. Or it's going to see huge growth over the next decade or so. Yeah, COVID did definitely have its benefits and drawbacks. And like, yeah, you're right. I was thinking about it just a few days ago that uh, we were comparatively so uh, unhygienic than we are now. Like, definitely we are taking more care, washing our hands more regularly. I would I would say that. And yes, also, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And as you said, now everything's virtual, uh, like education's virtual. So how do you think uh, that, like, what's the most challenging aspect of everything being virtual according to you? Yeah. Um, okay. So from my point of view, I'm in a doctorate program. It's a little bit different. Um, I think in an undergrad situation or in a high school situation, I think one of the biggest benefits of school and schooling in general is developing your interpers interprofessional skills and interpersonal skills. So how to talk to people, um, you know, making friends, all of that kind of stuff is a huge part of human development. And so I think that is something that is challenging right now at the high school and college level. Um, at the doctorate level, you, um, you know, you've gone through a few years, um, many years <laughs> of schooling and also gone through some, you know, uh, interprofessional challenges and you've learned a lot over the years. And so it's almost like you're just kind of focusing, getting stuff done and moving on. Um, that's at least how I feel like right now. It's two years of preclinical years for medical students. So I feel like you just kind of get it over with and then go into the hospital. And so the hospital, all that stuff is still in person because you do need to be able to perform a physical exam. You still need to be able to do all the things you need to do as a doctor. So um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a mixed answer. I feel like it is important to see people in person. I mean, as people that's we're social beings. So I think it's important in general. Um, but you know, you definitely, uh, it has its benefits at times if you're kind of good at making your own schedule and staying on top of things, but it's harder for the professors to see if you're struggling or if to see if you are able to keep up or you're, uh, like where you are in the curriculum. So, you know, as, as someone who's interested in education, I would be definitely disappointed if I, if some of my students fell behind and I didn't know. So that would be, kind of one of the challenges there for sure. Yeah, COVID has seemed to turn our whole uh, world around. And um, so going back to medicine, um, you're a physician in training. So um, did research make you want to tap into that or uh, did you have any other inspiration? Yeah, that's a really great question because going into undergrad, um, I didn't say this before, but I was actually pre-physician assistant. So I was thinking about being a PA and believe it or not, it was research that turned me into a, um, a pre MD or pre med student. And so I really fell in love with the science and I knew, um, you know, that 
PA and MD are, uh, they serve a similar role in the clinic, but it's the fundamental difference of the curiosity, the research, the um, intense scientific background that's, that makes them a little different. And so that was kind of what changed me to end up wanting to pursue uh, medical school. And, you know, there, there are different training paths. There's also the DO program in the U.S., but um, that's kind of what changed my direction was the research in the end of the, at the end of the day. And uh, now that technology is rapidly advancing, um, how has that impacted medicine? Yeah, um, well, just taking microbiology as an example, um, you know, before many of the modern techniques, we had to grow bacteria on plates, or we had to grow them sometimes in even cell culture, which for some of the intracellular parasites can be really challenging. Um, and it takes days, sometimes a month. Uh, the turnaround time for some mycobacterium tuberculosis, which causes TB, the turnaround time for those was a month, if not more. And so that was growing the bacterium on a, a special plate, and it would take a really long time for it to grow. But now we have PCR techniques or polymerase chain reaction, which can amplify uh, genetic material within hours. And um, that has significantly improved patient outcomes. And that definitely, I mean, that, the, the biggest part of that is being able to find the answer more quickly. Um, but then even more technology, you know, a single PCR was great, but now we have panels of PCR. So we have, you know, uh, I think like tens of bugs that you could put on one panel and you're like, well, this is all the different bugs that cause sepsis. What do we have? And so that's, that's a huge benefit for the patient and also for the um, physician and the team, because then they can also prescribe the correct antibiotic and not lead to more resistance like we have now. Um, and then more uh, other parts of it, you know, the technology has also led to the electronic medical record um, that has led to more transparency between the physician and the patient. Um, more recent developments are that the pathology lab can re release their results directly to the patient. And so the patient can actually ask the pathologist directly about their results. So if they had some kind of cancer, a melanoma, um, a small cell lung cancer or something like that, they could ask the, the physician that diagnosed them, the pathologist, about that specific type of cancer. So that's uh, definitely a benefit there. Um, one of the challenges of technology is that now with the electronic medical record, you spend a lot of time in the medical record um, writing notes. And so that is one of the big sources of burnout for physicians is the electronic medical record. Um, and so that is something that I feel like can be improved, but you know, it has to be improved with more technology, basically. So if there's ways that we can improve that, um, either by direct um, data in, uh, input from the patient's uh, chart or from the, um, the machines that they have in the room, uh, that could help significantly um, in preventing burnout. And what will your focus be um, after your education? After my, uh, after MD. So right now I'm doing a um, MDMA program. I'm doing the doctorate of, um, doctorate of medicine and also a master of arts in bioethics and health policy. Um, right now I am basically like 90% sure I want to go into pathology, which is the field of medicine that deals with diagnosing disease through tissue samples. So like either during a surgery, when they take out an organ, the pathologist will look at it and see what the disease was. 
or through um, fluids, body fluids, like your blood, um, cerebrospinal fluid, uh, urine samples, et cetera. And so for those, that's kind of the two main branches of pathology. Um, sometimes the, the fluid side will be called the laboratory medicine. So, you know, that would include microbiology, um, uh, hematology, coagulation, all of that stuff. Um, and then the other side would be called the anatomic pathology because you're looking at the actual tissues. So that's kind of what I'm interested in. And because I also now I'm doing training in, uh, bioethics and I've always had an interest in bioethics as well. Um, I have been kind of gearing towards incorporating those two into my future career. Um, it's still, we'll see how everything goes. I mean, I'm definitely, I love microbiology, so I would always love to incorporate in that, that in my future. Um, but I also really love all the different systems that you learn about in medical school. I mean, there are so many amazing, uh, physiological examples of just like absolute beauty in the body. I mean, the, the renal system is just exquisite and the GI system, um, from, you know, the esophagus all the way down through the colon, uh, there's so many different ways that things can go wrong, but also so many ways where things can be prevented from going wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I like that, uh, very specific level of detail kind of all the way down to the cell where you can really study a person's, um, disease. And so I think that's, you know, kind of the path that I'm headed. Um, you know, I have my rotations next year, so things could always change. You know, I could love, I could fall in love with internal medicine or something, and, um, I might go down that path, but at this point, that's what I'm interested in. I would say that you seem like a versatile person with many interests, but I also heard that you're a co-founder of Path Elective. So what exactly do you uh, do there? Like, what's your role there? Yeah. So um, Dr. Kamran Mirza at Loyola University of Chicago Stretch School of Medicine, he is a pathologist in the um, Department of Pathology there. He's actually a hematopathologist, which means he studies the pathology of the blood. Um, so cancers, leukemias, lymphomas, stuff like that. Um, he, uh, we had been working together before that and he came to me one day and he was like, you know, I'd be interested in putting together some materials online so I don't have to keep teaching the same thing to people every single time they come into my office. And I was like, I'm totally on board. Like, that sounds awesome. And then like a week later, I went on spring break and the whole world shut down. And so I was kind of left, I had a little bit more free time during the last like couple weeks of my first year. And then all of my research over the summer got canceled. So one thing led to another and I ended up um, learning how to build a website. <laughs> I had never done that before. Um, I put together the website for Path Elective and we recruited a ton of educators from around the country, uh, people from, you know, California, um, more people from Illinois. Obviously, that's where we are. So we have a lot of connections at um, Northwestern, University of Chicago, Loyola, um, and then, you know, people from Colorado, all over the place. Um, amazing people. And it's been really great working with them. Um, I was one of the course directors for the microbiology course. And so I put together some materials on, you know, teaching basic microbiology for medical students and also introducing them to some of the di diagnostic techniques in the microbiology lab. Um, and then I also put together a molecular microbiology unit where it was kind of focused more on learning the different sequencing techniques and the different types of PCRs and all that. 
Um, so that was kind of my basic role. Um, you know, I, I am also now a researcher with that as well. So I'm kind of behind the scenes looking at data, um, looking to see how we can improve. Um, if there are certain modules that are doing better than others, we can kind of see how, why students like that one more or how we can improve others to kind of mirror that. Um, and so it's kind of all about seeing how people learn and um, how to better improve our virtual education experience, which is kind of where everyone is right now. So it's always good to kind of see how we can improve there. Yeah, virtual uh, education is really growing these days. Um, so speaking of that, uh, many people now are trying to get into STEM education, which I know that you're really interested in. So what advice would you give to um, students that are wanting to learn uh, STEM? Yeah. So the biggest thing about STEM in general, so if you want to pursue a STEM field, um, you know, anything in the sciences, technologies, engineering, or math, um, those fields will always be growing. Um, you know, I, there's always more to learn and there's always more to discover. But also, um, if you have that training, almost any company will want to have you. And so if you want to go into academia, there are tons of programs and academia is kind of where you can research and discover more and teach. So you can discover, um, you know, what's going on in a disease process at the molecular level or at the cellular level or at the organismal level. And um, then you can teach your undergrad students or graduate students. Um, and that kind of goes down a path where it's, you know, master's degree, PhD kind of thing. Um, you can also go down the path of going into um, the, the uh, in industrial side of things. So um, if you want to do industrial microbiology, that's an absolutely a career. Most of the time you only need a bachelor's. Um, you can also do um, engineering, which is a huge, that's basically all industrial at this point. Um, there is still academia as well. Um, and then you also have the medical side of things. So if you want to go into medical sciences, um, the medical laboratory science programs, those are bachelor's degree programs and you come out as a well-trained scientist. Um, you still have the opportunity to go to medical school if you want, but you can also serve patients right out of undergrad. And there's a huge need for them. Um, so that's, that's some of the options. But my advice for people pursuing science is to to never lose sight of your, um, what makes you happy and your spark. So, you know, if you really love learning, make sure you're still learning and you're always learning. And that's kind of, I mean, science is really the only way to do that. Um, STEM fields, you're always going to be learning something new and there's no way to kind of, you know, max out your knowledge in science because there's always more. Um, and the other thing is, you know, in, invite new ideas and invite criticism as well. Um, because sometimes, you know, when you're applying to schools, you want to keep everything to yourself because you're like, I don't want anyone to criticize this. This is really personal. But, um, you know, it's, it's really important to put yourself out there and to allow people to criticize your work. And this goes all the way through your career as well. If you can learn to kind of accept criticism early, that is that'll take you so far in science. Um, you know, you're going to have to work on a hundred page <laughs> dissertation or um, something like that when you're doing a PhD and you're going to have to accept the criticism and there's going to be criticism. Um, and also, you know, nowadays it's hard to 
accept the status quo. I mean, things have been been the way that they are for so long. And I think this year, we really started to realize that things do need to change. Um, you know, diversity is a huge um, concern in science. And luckily, at least now the colleges and universities are working to improve that. But also, um, don't be scared to put yourself out there and bring about new ideas. Um, you know, going the status quo is never going to improve things. So if you can find new ways to fix problems, then, you know, go ahead and do it. And just like how we talked about music before, um, you know, inviting that diversity into the conversation is kind of the only way to uh, make any substantive change. You know, I think um, in, you know, a lot of the problems that we're having, like how do we treat cancer or how do we diagnose sarcoidosis? Um, you know, if we keep looking at it the same way, we'll never find the answer. But if we have new voices in the, um, in the conversation, then we might actually find the answers that we need. So, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing, um, you know, invite that criticism um, and, you know, be able to talk to different people of different backgrounds and, find new ways to look at problems and always keep your mind open and, um, you know, become really good at uh, looking at problems in different ways. I mean, that's kind of what science is all about. That's some really great advice. I would definitely keep that in mind as I would want to pursue science in the future. And that's it for today. You definitely made me more fascinated in microbiology than I already was. And I'm so excited for my uh, future for, since I definitely would love to pursue that like you did. And it was great to hear your experiences. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm sure even the audience really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, this podcast is now available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, A Breaker and A Pocket Cast. Make sure you subscribe to all platforms and listen. Stay tuned for more.